Today's episode of The Ride is brought to you by Weaver Leather. Welcome back to the Ride Podcast. I'm Michaela. And I'm Nicole. And for this episode, we are sitting down with Brad Barkemeyer, which we all know and love Brad. He is one of the most trusted horse and rider experts. He's in the magazine, on the magazine, on horse and rider on demand, just about everywhere. We have Brad. Yeah, so excited to finally have Brad on the podcast. Uh, he's just such a cool guy and his story is really cool. And I just love how he, you know, he grew up in Montana around horses and he just found himself in the horse show industry and realized that's where he belongs. So it's a, it's a great story. You learn more about him and his family and his background and some of his mentors and, and Brad, like Michaela said, we love him. He's such a, you know, fun person to be around. And so I, I think everybody's going to love this podcast. You get to kind of learn more about Brad. You guys see him on on demand all the time, but now you can kind of learn more about him and his story. Yeah. I mean, there are some things in this podcast that I didn't know about Brad. So it was kind of eye opening for myself to learn a little bit more about him, even though, you know, we already consider him a friend. Well, before we get uh, started in that interview, let's take a few minutes to cover some of the current events that are going on in the horse industry. First, uh, the American Horse Publications, which Horse and Rider is a member of, is uh, launching their fifth equine industry survey. So it's really important that we hear from the people that we're you know, providing this information for. So if you're a horse owner who lives in the United States, um, and currently owns or manages at least one horse, uh, be sure to check out the survey and tell us what you're thinking and, and the things that are important to you. You can visit uh, the website at ahpequineindustrysurvey.com, uh, and it's available until March 30th. So if you are wanting to provide some feedback so that we know what people are looking for in the horse industry, head over there, take this quick survey, and uh, let us know. Yeah, it won't take much time at all, so please be sure to do so. I know it might not be your favorite thing to do, but we can really use this information. Um, And then another thing that I wanted to talk about is the fact that you guys really love the Ride Podcast, but there are so many other podcasts that are within the Equine Network, which is our parent company, that you guys should be checking out too. So we sit down with some great horsemen and women, But the other podcast within our brand gets you a bunch of other fun and neat things. You might be familiar with the Ask Annie podcast, which is hosted on horseandrider.com. So you can listen to her do horse products and reviews. And then there's uh, Beyond the Saddle podcast where uh, Katie, she goes and interviews people who have careers within the horse industry that are outside of horse trainers. And then there, there are so many more. So just go and check out all of those yeah no if you uh, find yourself you know bored while you're cleaning stalls or or doing barn chores and just need something to listen to those are some of our other favorites that are that are currently going on and uh hopefully you'll learn a little something new for sure 
Another thing that's currently going on is the uh, NRCHA Celebration of Champions. So they have their world championship going on, but they also have the world's greatest horseman going on, which is a huge event. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend checking it out. Uh, there's some live streams going on if you visit NRCHA's website. Uh, if you go to the Celebration of Champions section, they have um, both arenas that you can watch. But um, I haven't seen the World's Greatest Horseman in person, but it is uh, really cool. I love that, uh, you know, some of these legendary riders are riding the same horse in four events. And it's, you know, kind of the best of the best. And and you get to see some really cool horses compete. Um, Brad Barkmeyer, who we're interviewing in this podcast, is uh, going to be partaking in the World's Greatest Horseman. And so if you're interested in watching, be sure to check it out online. However, I have to say, I'm kind of glad I'm not in Fort Worth right now because I saw a Facebook video my friend who lives in Fort Worth just posted of a huge pile up from all the ice over there. It's really cold here in Colorado. Michaela and I were just talking about that off air because um, we're supposed to get into the negatives this weekend, which is pretty unlikely for where we live in Colorado anyway. Um, but yeah, I saw Fort Worth has an ice storm, so it's, uh, it's gotta be challenging getting the horses ready, uh, for that kind of event with that kind of weather. Yeah, that's what I think I probably saw the same video and it was really scary. So it made me glad that I wasn't down there because around this time last year, I was down in Fort Worth for the American semifinals. So didn't qualify this year, but I was really kind of thankful that that was the case because, I would not want to be in those kinds of conditions, but that's one thing that I did miss out on last year is going to watch the world's greatest horseman. And I wish I would have just taken the time to go and watch it because that's something that I really want to see in person. Yeah. And I believe, uh, you know, there's it, it, most of the people that make the finals are professionals, but non-pros are eligible to compete. And I think a couple years ago, Abby Phillips, Kelby Phillips' wife, who is a non-pro rider, I think she placed like third or fourth and she's a female and she's also a non-pro. So that was really exciting. I saw somewhere online that she's competing again this year. So I'm really excited to see how she does and and see if she can keep up with the pros again, because uh, the year that she made the top five, her rides were phenomenal. Yeah, no, it's super cool to watch some of those riders, but um, we will for sure be cheering on Brad, but let's dive into this interview. Today's episode is brought to you by Weaver Leather's new ProTac collection, which is handcrafted using the finest Herman Oak premium russet harness leather and non-rust hardware for long-lasting reliability and performance. Yeah, their leather is dipped in oil, dressed with saddle butter, and hand rubs for an exceptional feel. And I know this because I own Weaver Leather Tack, and it is some of the softest tack that I own. Absolutely. I know when I did some video work with Brad Barkermeyer, who is sponsored by Weaver, I got to use some of their equipment. And you're so right. The leather was nice and soft. I love that it was already broken in because stiff reins are my biggest pet peeve because nobody has time to break in reins. Like I want nice, supple reins when I put them on my bridle. So I love what they're doing. Yeah, for durable tack that's perfect for work or play, the Pro Tack is an exceptional choice. 
So you can view the entire Herman Oak ProTac leather collection online at www.ridethebrand.com backslash ProTac. Or you can check it out at your local Weaver Leather dealer. are back with another episode of The Ride, and today we are here with Brad Barkemeyer, who is a very well-known name to the horse and rider audience. He's been a part of the magazine for a while now, and he was also one of the first experts that we worked with for Horse and Rider On Demand, so I'm sure you've seen him on our social media, on video, in the magazine. We've done win-a-days with him. Brad is a rock star and literally does anything and everything that we ask him to do, so we're so appreciative of it but uh thanks for you know joining us and taking time out of your busy schedule to talk with us thanks for having me i'm glad to be a part of it well yeah like i said earlier um you do everything with us and we're so appreciative of it and i'm actually even more appreciative of it because brad you're the only reason that i even have a show career again because i suckered you into doing a lesson with me for on demand and now i have a horse and So I literally would not be doing what I'm doing right now if it weren't for you. So I am extra thankful for you. Well, it could, it may be good. It may be bad. You never know. <laughs> it, 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 I have gone to the dark side and I have no desire to go back. Yeah, that's great. So um, I guess, you know, our audience is really familiar with who you are as a horse trainer because you do so much video content with us and, and everything else. But um, maybe let's start at the beginning because you grew up riding and you've been in horses your whole life, but, um, you're from Montana and you didn't really get into the show stuff until you were out of school. Correct. Correct. Yeah. I was primarily, uh, doing ranch work. Um, starting Colts kind of was, was a, a real early passion of mine to, to take those two-year-olds that or even yearlings that hadn't been handled a lot and try to develop a relationship with them that way and, and bring them along to, to just do ranch work or be um, well-behaved riding horses. Uh, that ranching background kind of led me into the rodeo events um, where we team roped and cap roped through, through uh, high school um, with a little stint in the saddle bronc riding, which I, claim to never have been very good at, but I really respect that sport too. But um, yeah, so I, I worked for a, a couple in college uh, that had show horses and that was kind of my first introduction to uh, the Western performance horse. Um, kind of an eye-opening experience having not been around the refinement that you see in reining and working cow horse and even the rope horses that were being uh, shown at the AQHA events. So that that opened my eyes and and gave me a a real uh, new direction to to run towards. So the people that you were working for, did they, what did they mostly do? Or was it like they showed in everything and anything and you just got like a whole education on the horse show world in general? Yeah, that's the thing about Montana's, you know, um, fairly rural. So the population there, uh, there wasn't a big, um, a big population that was just concentrating on one particular event. So the people I worked for was David and Gary Lynn uh, Avery, and they primarily did cow horse, 
uh, Gary Lynn did the cow horse and then David did the rope horses. And they showed in the halter and they showed rainers and um, were given lessons to all different kinds of uh, people that would come through their barn. Um, being in Bozeman in a college town, the, it was really a, a good place to be because a, a lot of young people got to go through that program and, and kind of get an eye into the, the horse show business. So how exactly did you fall into the them exactly as you went to college and stuff to start showing? So I lived in the dorm my freshman year. Uh, a good friend of mine somehow got hooked up with them the first semester. And of course, my roommate and I were tearing around town trying to find odd jobs here and there that we could work on our, our in-between classes just to try to make some extra money. And uh, ironically, the kid that was working for them during the first semester didn't come back for his sem second semester of college. So created an opening and I was uh, running towards the door when I heard he wasn't coming back to try to get in there and, and get some, some action. I like it. You, you know, put yourself out there and was able to, to do something with it. That's great. Well, and I uh, think it's kind of important to note too that, you know, starting in this business is um, very much one of those deals where you got to start at the bottom and there's no easy way around that. And, uh, and here we are in Bozeman, Montana in the middle of winter and we got 10 or 15 stalls in the barn to clean every day and then outside pens that had to be cleaned and you're trudging through snow carrying hay to cattle and horses and and if you don't have a passion for the industry if you don't have passion for those kind of animals and want to work um, towards that you know you, you can't really expect to climb up the ladder and be a, a pro proficient horseman I think. Oh, absolutely. And it's a, I mean, like you said, it's a hard, hard career. And, you know, even though you go up the ladder and you, you, you know, get to the point to where you are a, you know, head trainer and showing all these really great horses, it's still hard work. It never gets easier. So <laughs> you really true. do. <laughs> you have to have a lot of love for what you do and passion, or it's just going to be really hard to get motivated to do anything. Exactly. That's an excellent point. So uh, you're in Bozeman and you're, you're getting involved in the horse show industry. Um, what, what was the next step in your, your riding career? Did you stay in Montana for a little bit? Did you head elsewhere to get, you know, a further education of the horse industry? So I was, uh, you know, my intention at being in college was to graduate and work in corporate agriculture somewhere. Um, you know, I had a really strong background in FFA and, and all the student organizations through the College of Agriculture there, and a real passion for, for production agriculture, um, wanted to kind of pursue that. So I was just training horses to make money and, and enjoy along the way, um, not necessarily going that route as a career path. Uh, I kind of left it to, to fate, I guess, is, is the best way to say it, is uh, applying for a job with the National Cattlemen's Association in their policy office in Washington, D.C., towards the end of my senior year. And it was an internship that was to lead into a, probably a, a long-term job in their policy office, which I had some interest in. And uh, came down, it was a nationwide search, came down to me and one other person as finalists for the job, and I didn't get it. 
And so having missed out on that opportunity, it was like, okay, well, plan B is I'm going to keep training horses. I had the opportunity to uh, leave Montana and go to Roswell, New Mexico, where David Avery had moved to since um, he and, and Gary Lynn had been divorced. So he moved to New Mexico. And uh, so I followed him down there and, and continued on the path of training uh, tie down and team roping horses, primarily for the quarter horse shows. Well, I think fate probably worked out better in your favor there. I, I think that you're probably having a little bit more fun riding horses every day, even though it is a job and sometimes it's hard work riding horses every day and training them and helping other people with their horses. Sounds like a lot more fun than sitting at a desk all day working on policies. Unanswered prayers for sure. And that was, that was totally the case. Uh, I couldn't be more thankful that it worked out the way it did. And knowing once I got out of Montana and started uh, just getting more exposure to a nation, uh, a nationwide industry. Uh, there was no question from that point on, which, you know, which if I had chosen the right path or not, it chose me. And I just, you know, went for it from there. I think that's the special thing about the horse industry is that, you know, it, it just seems to choose you. And, and that's just, you know, it just becomes part of your life. And I don't, you know, we're lucky to be in the industry in, in a different aspect. We're not horse trainers, but we're still involved in it. And I couldn't imagine, you know, not being able to just talk about horses all day. It's pretty great. Absolutely. And that's, that's another thing that I've come to realize is there's so many, uh, it kind of goes back to my passion and love for agriculture. There's so many different avenues that you can be involved and have a positive impact on people, the animals, the businesses that are supported by the entire industry, and it's all intertwined. And, and I mean, I can't stress enough the relationships that are made, the people that you get to meet, and the quality of individuals that we're around daily. Uh, it's just a real blessing. Absolutely. Um, okay, so you moved to New Mexico, and you're, you said you were doing a lot of the team roping and the tie down and team roping, right? Yeah for the quarter horse stuff. Uh, so you, you probably got a lot of experience. Just the AQHA stuff is just so interesting as it is with so many different events and so many different trainers and so many different avenues that you can kind of go down in that industry. Is that kind of how you first got involved with more of the cow horse stuff? Were you already doing the cow horse stuff or, or how did you kind of get your feet, you know, wet in that industry? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So being in New Mexico is very similar as far as, um, being comparable to Montana in that regard where uh, we had people coming in for lessons and had horses in training, not just for roping, but doing other things as well as cow horse. And we helped a lot of youth kids out at that time in the state of New Mexico and, and uh, high school rodeo and stuff like that. Um, but going to those quarter horse shows, uh, especially at that time, it was just a uh, it was before things really got specialized. So I saw a lot of the older trainers that I really respect and, and they were doing multiple events. They were showing their horses in halter class and they were, you know, roping on their cow horses. And, you know, there was a lot more diversity at that time. The people were striving to make AQHA champions, which is a, a an award that you don't hear spoken of a lot anymore. Um, just because of each individual discipline has gotten so specialized and competitive. So 
entering the, the quarter horse world at that time, I was really grateful to be around those horsemen and seeing the diversity that the quarter horse offers. So that number one was a, a, a real kicker for me and, and trying to myself diversify. Um, I remember being at the world show my first time to the AQHA world show and sitting in the stands watching guys like Don Murphy showing the rain cow horse and just being in awe of the talent and, and the horsemanship that was being exhibited at that, at that event. So from then on, I knew that I wanted to get involved in that and the cutting and the rain work. Um, so David was really good to work for in that regard because he would seek help from other trainers when we were traveling around to different shows in the par different parts of the country. And we'd always make a point to visit Al Dunning's place when we were in Arizona, you know, and we'd go up into Nebraska and, and Kansas and Texas all over. And he, he was a real networking type of guy. So I was able to meet a lot of those guys and, and kind of get an idea on what, they were doing to make a living and what they were doing to try to be successful horsemen. So that really fed my interest and spurred me on to try to um, make a, a run for an assistant position elsewhere um, to, you know, continue that college experience. My, I call it my graduate school, right? So I did my undergrad at Montana state and then I got my doctorate in horse training from David Avery and Al Dunning. <laughs> that's not a bad combo to get a master's in right. um no I love that and I, I think it's really important to surround yourself around people who you know yes they are professionals but they're not afraid to ask for help from other professionals and I you know coming from the industry I came from there were a lot of people like that but there were also a lot of people who just kind of kept themselves and didn't really branch out and work with other people and now as like working for the magazine, I'm so lucky I get to talk with people from all over the country. And I love being able to take something from this person's program and this person's program and, you know, ask this person this question. And so I think it's huge that, you know, the people that you surrounded yourself with were always looking to learn and expand their knowledge. And, you know, it says a lot about their training programs. Yeah, for sure. And it, it taught me to, to make sure to do the same thing and try to, um, keep an open mind and not get too narrow focused on your individual personal goals. Um, sometimes you get in your own way just because you're so goal oriented and you got to let other influences come in that, that are positive. And that's the key there is finding the people that are, are going to be a positive influence in your life. So I was lucky that way for sure. Well, kind of touching on goals, how do you go about your goals as a professional? I know being an amateur and a non-pro, we sometimes have different goals and how we accomplish them. So being a professional, how do you go about that? I think remaining flexible is the thing that I've learned the most about that part of it because there's so many variables that go along. You know, let's take a calendar year, for example, and you start the year with, um, a handful of futurity prospects and some, you know, maybe middle-aged horses that you're trying to work on to go into the Hackamore classes and derbies. And then you've got your older horses that are in the bridle and, and maybe you're more finished that are on the, you got to decide what shows fit the horse's ability the best to keep them successful. And then along the way, make sure everybody's sound and healthy and all the, all the other unknowns that can pop up. 
So flexibility is key there, but I always try to kind of take a little time at the end of the year. You know, we're basically done showing uh, in that November, December range and try to just take some time over the holidays and, and really take a good look at what horses we have that are remaining in the barn from carry over from the year before and what may be coming in after the first of the year and then just kind of sit down and try to decide what shows like i said before fit the horse's competition level you know and then uh i always have some individual goals of my own as far as i want to win the world's greatest horseman contest i want to win the futurity and i want to win an aqha world championship so just guiding those horses to get qualified for the proper shows making sure they're prepared and conditioned and, and then uh, doing my job as a trainer and showman to get to get that done if you can so i mean as you talk about this i'm sure you've kind of probably picked up some of your goal assessing ideas from Al Dunning, because as you said, you started working with Al Dunning, um, who you, who you've said many times is one of your, you know, big mentors. How you said that you did lessons with him when you were working for David, but, uh, is that kind of how you ended up working for him as well? Or, you know, how did you end up in Arizona? Well, I'll never forget it. Uh, David and I were driving across the middle of Kansas, going to some quarter horse show in the summertime on a long open road. And, and I was thinking, man, I want to do more than just show rope horses. And so we got to talking about that. And I said, you know, I really, I really like the cow horse and, and the cutting. And he just looked straight at me and said, well, if you're going to learn it, you might as well learn from the best. So why don't you call out? And so I did. And then at that point, um, he, David and Al actually had uh, some customers that were had horses in both places. Um, so I had a, a, a good relationship with them. So uh, I guess the long story short, I called Al to see if he had any openings and he didn't at that time. But he told me to make sure that I, you know, check in with them periodically or if I ever got to Arizona to come by and meet him and, you know, see the ranch and everything. Well, in the meantime, he had kind of asked around and called some references, people that he knew knew me and vice versa. Um, turned out well, he had a guy leave, so he called me up and asked me to come out for an interview. And I drove out and uh, spent a couple of days and rode with them uh, pretty much all one morning. And uh, he, by that afternoon, he uh, offered me a job, and it was for very little pay and a lot of hours. But it was it was a step I knew I needed to take at the time, and it, and it worked out. Uh, really well because I was there a little over eight years. Oh wow, I had no idea you were there for that long. Um, but yeah, like you said, you know, a little pay, but that's a once in a lifetime experience that I think a lot of people um, in this industry would have killed to have. So that's that's pretty special. Yeah, I felt really fortunate, and um, I guess just knowing that. Uh, you know, making those changes at that time in your life, it's always scary to make change, you know, but um, when things kind of start lining out and, and feels right, you know, um, without taking that chance, knowing that it may not work, you know, and that's okay. It's just, you got to take that step and, and see, give yourself a chance to, to grow. Um, if, 
if you don't, you stay in one place and, you know, kind of become complacent. And uh, that's not any, any way that I wanted to live. So it was scary, but it was good. And um, it ended up being like a, the perfect scenario for me to start my own business because while I was working at Owls, he was starting to slow down a little bit, especially on the cow horse side of things. So I was able to kind of step in and take over some of that, those responsibilities. Uh, you know, Al was really good about giving me responsibility and, you know, ended up kind of managing that place so that he could just focus on the other things that he was doing as far as training and, and his publications and everything. So I was able to kind of take a test run at running my own place and, and having customers that, you know, were looking to me for those kind of answers and, and kind of um, have have Al as a safety net where I was still getting a salary and, and, but yet I was still doing all the work as if I was on my own. And so during that time, uh, I was collecting bits and extra buckets and blankets that people were getting rid of, you know, just so that I knew all the stuff I was going to need if I ever did go out on my own, that I wouldn't have to go buy it all right off the bat and, and have those extra expenses when you're trying to start your own business. Um, so I was able to do a lot of those things while I was well, gainfully employed, which worked out great. And I was able to start my family there. Um, so yeah, it was a really good stepping stone. That's huge to be able to, to kind of learn how to run a business without having to put yourself out there and just kind of be like, all right, well, I'm, I am self-employed now and it could work and it could not, but, um, that's huge because I, you know, I, I grew up in the horse industry. I have friends who decided they were going to go and become professionals. And not only do you have to have a barn and stalls and, you know, the horses, you have to have the trucks, the trailers, the blankets, the, you know, buckets, the bits, the tack. I mean, that tack is expensive. Yeah. And so that's, that's a huge thing to have been able to kind of be ahead of the curve there and not put yourself in a load of debt when you decided that you were going to go out on your own. Absolutely. You know, and that's, that's what kept me there as long as I was, because it was, I could see that, that kind of snowball effect taking place where it was just a, a, I was growing, you know, in one place where it was like, I didn't have to do it all at once. It was gradual and safe and secure. Uh, at the same time, learning every day, you know, learning what to do and what not to do how to talk to sponsors, how to talk to companies that wanted to endorse, you know, you have you endorse products. It was one of the main things I learned from Al and developing the relationships with those people. Because, um, yeah, it's important to win stuff in the arena and be visible um, for people to have a desire to endorse products through you. But I'll tell you, a lot of it is just developing those relationships and maintaining that where they know that you're, you have good morals and ethics and then you're going to represent their product well. Um, so that was, that was a big piece of what I learned there too. Well, I'm sure part of that also comes natural to you because Brad, I know Nicole and I are always so excited when we get the chance to work with you because you just have such a bright personality and you're always happy and just so much fun to work with. So I'm sure all of your sponsors are super, super thankful to have you on their team. Thank you. Uh, feelings mutual. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, there's a reason that we've done so many win-a-days together, and we hopefully yeah. have another one coming up, depending on how coronavirus is is looking in the spring. But yeah, exactly. no, it's it, it's 
it is super important to think about those things. And I don't think a lot of people do, especially these kids that are, you know, young and, and just want to train horses and be the best and win those really, you know, insanely um, looked upon awards. And but right. there's so much more that goes into being a horse trainer that people forget about and the sponsors and being able to work with them and talk with them. And um, I, you know, especially now understanding social media, I know that sponsors are wanting you know, their endorsees to post on social media and, you know, be in their videos and be in their, their posts and photos and blogs. And there's a lot that comes with it. Oh, for sure. And, and that's where my wife, Mindy is a savior for our business in that regard. And she, I mean, she does everything. She takes care of the kids and the house. And at the same time, she's taking care of me. It's like, uh, you know, helping, helping maintain communication with all, all of our people and, uh, just keep it organized with the billing and the and the books, you know, and, and I just can't say enough of what an integral part of our business that she is. And uh, the fun part is every now and then she gets to show and, and she does well in the show pens. I'm really proud of her for that, as well as uh, my kids. My two boys are, are really good boys and they're having fun riding and showing. And, and so it's it's not just a career. It's a lifestyle. Totally. And we have to say that we also love Mindy because I text her and I ask if you will do an Instagram takeover and she is amazing and does everything that I ask her to do. And no, Mindy's amazing and she's a world champion. So she's not just a good rider. She's a world exactly. champion. <laughs> yeah. So you're at Al's, you've um, been kind of preparing to go out on your own. So when, when did you finally make the move and decide that it's time to leave and kind of go out on your own and, and do it yourself? Yeah, I don't, I don't remember exactly, you know, waking up one day and go, okay, it's time. You know, um, I think just situationally there at Al's, um, for, for whatever his program had evolved. And so had mine, um, you know, we, we talked a lot, we'd go in the office and, and talk about business and, and where we were headed and goals and stuff like that. And I, I think I just presented it to him one day and, and said, Hey, what do you think about if I just rent some stalls from you and run my own business here? And, you know, the, the idea was received well, um, we kept it. We kept it on the where I still was kind of managing his place as far as um, helping with maintenance, uh, getting hay ordered for the cattle and the horses and bedding, you know, those kind of uh, daily operations type stuff. So we were ba basically sharing those responsibilities, and and I could kind of take some of the workload off of him for those things, and yet still. Um, start building my own clientele. So I stayed at his barn and started my own business, uh, had my own clients, rent, rented stalls from him and, and it worked out really well for uh, a, a short while. Um, but an opening came up down the road at a different training facility and it was uh, a place where I could expand. And, and that's the, the one thing at Al's that I was a little limited on space there for, cause he was, you know, still, blowing and going pretty hard and, and wanted to keep a full barn. So opportunity arose that there was a, another facility that um, 
just happened to have two other Rain Cow Horse trainers working there already, uh, Corey Cushing and Chad Parkinson. So it was like a perfect fit for me there too, because the three of us could work out of the same facility and help each other. And we were going to be, you know, traveling to the shows together. And it just, it was a natural fit. So a couple months into um, working, well, I would say two years probably into starting my own business, I made, I made the move over to the place. It's called Bella Vista Ranch and uh, just maybe, maybe a mile west of Al's place. So just up the road. Yeah, you all are kind of jammed in a little area over there. So yeah. do you have any horses like from the very beginning that played an impact on your career from the start that you're just super thankful for? Oh, for sure. There's there's a list of those, but I guess the one that stands out to me is the one my wife won the world show on. Uh, his name's Dulcie Smart Boomer. We call him Clark. And so the whole, uh, you know, the the story behind his name is he was like Superman. He looks like the plain Jane newspaper reporter, you know, but you get in that show pen, he jumps in the phone booth and comes out like Superman. But that was a really neat horse. He was, he was, uh, well, one of the few, one of the first ones I won, uh, limited aged event titles on at the rain cow horse shows when I started going to those on my own and, and showing in the limited open divisions and stuff like that, trying to, trying to get noticed, you know, and he was one of those that, that kind of let me get in the winter circle on, on those derbies and uh, really number one gave me the confidence to be able to go show one and know that I could have a chance to compete with those guys. And, and he just was a special horse all the way through. We still have him. I mean, he's, I think he's 16 now and, and kind of semi-retired. My youngest boy rides him around a little bit, but he's pretty much living the good life now. And he'll, he's one that'll stay with us for forever. I was going to uh, say, it sounds like, um, it sounds like he definitely has his forever home, but 16, yeah. that's not, that's not too old. I'm sure he got some years left. That's for sure. <laughs> um, that's really cool. Uh, now, the really crazy thing I think about the cow horse now that I'm actually getting involved in it is it really does take a special horse to gain your confidence up to be able to do something like the cow horse because there's no second guessing when you're going down the fence. I don't have this experience personally because I'm not there yet, but just watching the other people that show in it, it, it really does take a special horse to to gain that confidence to make sure because I mean there's no second guessing you're either gonna do it or you're not right yeah no that's a big big part of it and it's funny how and I, I I've talked to other trainers about this too but you start off in your career and uh, if you've got one of those good horses everything comes pretty easy as far as showing them because you're you're just reacting you're relying on your instinct, you're, you're riding your horse, you're letting your horse do its job. And then we all go through this period of knowing too much, right? We get overeducated, we get overanalytical, we start picking apart all the little things that can be a, just a tick better here and there, and, and we start trying to perfect everything. And we almost get in our own way, um, and, you know, kind of in that middle portion of your career where you're like, you've got enough experience, you got the confidence, you got the right horses to ride, but things just aren't working, right, perfectly, and you're not winning all the time, 
So now you're starting to tweak everything, you know? So it's a, it's a really tough deal because you got to stay true to yourself and do your job, right? Do the, do the work and train your horse like you know you can. And then when you show, you got to go let them do your job and trust in your training. And so we all go through that little funky stage of trying to over manipulate things and, and force things, right? And like you say, you either got to go or it's not going to work, right? So whenever, if you can, if you can get yourself back to that spot where before you knew how, how bad it really could be, <laughs> trust in it, be confident, go show, and you, and you win more and your horses are happier. So it's, it's been a roller coaster, but that's kind of the, the path a lot I think trainers get on and, and it's, it's hard to, to stay away from. Yeah, no, I never really like actually thought about it. I always watched the cow horse and I, you know, I think it really piqued my interest when I first saw down the fence and was first getting involved in horse and rider. And, and I turned to my best friend who shows rainers, mind you. So it's not like she, we used to do the slow show stuff, um, but you know, she's doing the raining now and I'm like, I'm going to do the cow horse. And she's like, you're crazy. And I'm like, what do, you, what do you mean I'm crazy? She's like, no, you don't get to second guess when you're going down the fence. You're either going to get that cow or you're going to either kill yourself trying or you're going to pull up. Like there's no, there's no in between. And I was like, well, I, I never looked like, looked at it like that, but I'm still going to do the cow horse. There you go. Yeah. But no, it's, it's a lot of fun. And I can see how you would have gotten hooked into it because it's, it's crazy fun. Is there ever, is there a moment in your uh, career as a professional, like a horse show or something, just like some moment in the arena that really just is a memory that you're going to hang on to forever? Oh, I would say probably oh, one of them would be I won the Hackamore Classic uh, 2011 on a horse named Smarty. And he was a phenomenal athlete, really, really special horse. Um, Kaylee Wilson had trained him in Canada and, and done some good on him as a three-year-old. And, and I ended up with him. Uh, the, the owner was a snowbird. So she'd winter in Arizona and summer in Canada. So Kaylee and I were kind of sharing this horse back and forth. And anyway, long story short, that horse, um, I got everything to come together finally, because he was real quirky. He was really um, just a, a extreme athlete, but it was hard to get everything to line up at the right time all the time and at that at that show he was he was locked in on target and uh, I won the open the intermediate the limited um, the novice horse all four divisions uh, it was my first major aged event championship and so I felt like I kind of had arrived you know it was like okay I'm, I'm one of the guys I made it uh, I, I was I was validating myself. I think, you know, that was like, okay, I, I belong here. Right. So that was a real uh, eye opening and, and special moment that, that kind of put me on the map. And I thought after that, well, oh, this is easy. You know, you just, you win these and then you just, you get better horses and you just keep winning. Right. It's not that easy. <laughs> Famous last words. Right. Yep. <laughs> exactly. No, that's, that's a huge, uh, memory. It sounds like you kind of cleaned house there at that show, but, um, yeah, it's always, you know, even if you didn't win, it's those rides where everything just clicked and you're like, Oh, this is how it's supposed to go. 
Those yeah. are the rides that I definitely remember more than the awards. Absolutely. And, and like my wife always says, you can't eat a trophy. So winning those prizes is like, you know, they're obviously very appreciated and important to us, but just that journey that you're on to try to, uh, you know, the amount of work that goes into to that two and a half to five minutes where you're in the show pen. And like you say, everything is aligned and, and it's working and it's easy and it's like, it's meant to be, you just feel invincible and, and that feeling and, and having, um, the support team around you that's that's cheering you on and everything that comes together in those moments is really special. So let's kind of sidestep over to another topic and maybe get into horse and rider on demand a little bit because you are you and Bud Lion were you know the first two people to be part of the platform and you're still a huge part of the platform and new videos are coming out every week with you guys and I think I have, uh, you know, another video shoot hopefully lined up now that coronavirus might be a little under control, hopefully. <laughs> um, but, you know, um, I, again, am very appreciative of your on-demand experts because um, that's the only reason I'm showing and writing. But, um, no, it, it's really interesting. The video stuff was so new to me and I'm sure new to you as well, but um, it is such a huge platform and I love that you're able to connect with people all over the country now and help them with their horses and not just cow horses or team roping or, or whatever, just everything in between. You're able to, you know, work with these people and kind of help them become better horsemen from the comfort of their own home. Um, you know, what were your thoughts when we approached you about doing something like this? I was so excited to, to have that platform because we can only reach so many people there's only so many people that can come into my facility and take a lesson and i can do clinics throughout the year which we do some but with the show schedule it's hard to get out out of state and and to take the time to do clinics and even then it's not a large audience right it's limited people that we can we can reach so i felt like wow this is a, a great way to be able to have a little more reach and try to share some of the knowledge and share some of the experiences that, uh, that I've um, had and, and be able to hopefully influence young horse trainers that want to be become, you know, career showmen. Um, just make better relationships between people and their own horses, even if they're recreational trail riding. Um, just having that, that reach to be able to influence people in a, in a positive way um, was really exciting for me. So, and I've been able to luckily uh, travel to Costa Rica a couple of times for clinics there. I've got um, customers from places like Switzerland that come over. And so that was a good uh, avenue as well for, for me to be able to promote um, the Western performance horse lifestyle and the training techniques and the products we're using um, to get better and, and have not just a nationwide, but a worldwide reach. Well, I think some people just don't realize that, yes, we, and we've touched on this before, but yes, you're a cow horse trainer and a rope horse trainer, but so many of those techniques can apply to just your regular everyday riding. And I think that's so important for every horseman to know about and that's what I really appreciate about your videos is I don't ride cow horses and I don't ride 
roping horses, I barrel race, but I'm able to watch your videos and go and watch you as we produce the videos. And I take lessons away from that that I'm able to use on my own horses. I know there are drills that you've done for Horse and Rider On Demand that I'm out in my arena working on with my barrel horses. So it just goes across everything. That's perfect. And that, I love hearing that because that's completely 100% correct. And uh, I, I have to remind myself to not relate it to the cow horse or the roping all the time because that's my dis those are my disciplines. But the fundamentals and the foundation that we're putting on these horses are, like you say, they're for every horse. It doesn't matter the breed. It doesn't matter the discipline. You've got to have control of your animal no matter what you're doing, right? And these are all, all tools and, and techniques um, that may or may not work on your particular horse, but it's worth a try. And it's stuff that, um, it's, they're not secrets, right? They're, they're basic fundamentals that we just got to get out there that, that people need to know. Well, and like, like Michaela had kind of brought up, it's not just for one specific kind of riding, but I, I think the one thing that I would like to get out and we, I think we try as a brand, um, is that, yeah, even if you're trail riding, your horse should still be able to side pass or do a turn or, you know, collect from an ex extended lope to a slow lope or, you know, lead changes. All of this stuff is really handy, even if you're a trail rider. I mean, it's so important that we teach our horses these basic horsemanship skills. Absolutely. And it keeps, i tell you what it does is it keeps the rides enjoyable. Um, if the horse and the rider are communicating properly and it's a cohesive relationship, it's just the, the whole purpose that most people have horses is for recreation and recreation is supposed to be fun. And, you know, these are all tools, the things that we do are try to, to, to try to make that more a more pleasurable experience for the horse and the human. Absolutely. And, um, you know, you, you do such a great job with, you know, showing people how to do it at home to where they can um, safely do it at home. And, um, you know, which is a huge thing because you don't want somebody who's never done a flying lead change to just go and, you know, try and push their horse's shoulders over and start kicking with the other leg. You know, there's so many steps before that yeah. actual lead change happens. And I kind of love that we've started doing these series where, you know, it's, it, we start with like the super, super basic fundamentals and kind of build from that. So these people who are watching these videos are also growing with you as a trainer, as you're, you know, advancing in these skill sets and we're putting them out on video. Absolutely. And it's, it's really important, I think, to stress, there's a certain intimidation factor, I think, that goes along with the performance horse industry as a whole and, and people on, that are, are not involved maybe have a little bit of an intimidation factor there and, and thinking that their horse can't do it or that they can't do it um, or that there's no need for it because they're never going to show uh, all of those things. I mean, we're all trying to accomplish the same thing and that's to have a better broke horse and have more fun when we're riding. So um if there's anyone out there listening that can take one thing home, it's don't be afraid to ask for help. And the, no matter how much the, the instructor has won or is publicized or is famous, they're, they're just real people. They're humans. They want to help. And the, the best thing you can do is just reach out and be open to educating yourself. 
it's funny you say that because I've had a couple conversations with other trainers who, you know, are very well known and have won world titles and are, you know, technically famous. And they say the same thing where they're always so excited. And of course, it, there's always a right time when you're at a horse show. Maybe don't ask them as they're going into the ring on their, you know, young horse. Yeah. Um, but you know, they're always so happy when somebody just comes up and goes like, Hey, why do you do this? Or, or like, you know, what is your, why, you know, what are you doing here that looks so different than everyone else or, or whatever. And, um, yeah, no, that's huge. And I, I wish, you know, I even have to remind myself of that. And I work for a magazine where it's literally my job to ask trainers how they do stuff. And, you know, I even get really, you know, nervous at horse shows and especially, you know, after doing 20 years in the all around world, I, I go to my first cow horse show and I don't know anybody. And I'm just like, you know, big eyed and I don't know who's who. I don't know, like the warm up rules and how people, you know, work the flag in between and, you know, paying for cattle times. And um, I'm really thankful that I had friends to help me there because that would be extremely intimidating had I gone to my first horse show, didn't have a horse trainer, and was just watching all of this madness that makes yeah. sense to the people that are there every weekend, but somebody exactly. walking in for the first time, that's very intimidating. For sure. Or it's organized chaos. A hundred percent. So, all right. Well, um, I think this podcast is coming out when you are going to be at the NRCHA World Show. And uh, before we started recording, you told me you are taking six horses so can you tell us a little bit more about the horses that you're going to be showing and and maybe the customers i think you said your wife might have one um so uh what what can our audience you know watch for when they're doing the live feed so mindy is showing uh prince ray is the name of her horse he's a six-year-old gelding um that she qualified last year for the non-pro hackamore so she'll be showing him in the non-pro hackamore um We've got a customer from New Mexico in the Derby showing a five-year-old gelding in the Derby. Um, I'm going to be showing one in the Open Hackamore, a gelding named Five Star Rating, and he's a dual-ray gelding that's owned by Chris Larson, and he's a really good friend and customer um, that's had some really nice horses over the years, so we're excited about doing, doing well for him and that horse. And then uh, I'm showing Moonstruck, one time, uh, that's he's his barn name is James. He's a brown gelding by one time Pepto that's owned by the Kaplans who own the facility that we train out of. And I've had some success um, with James in the aged events along the way. And he's to the age now and, and competition level of being competitive, I think, with that group of horses. So really excited. Uh, it's been several years since I've sh had one that I thought was competitive and good enough to show in the world's greatest. And this is definitely one that's got a shot. Awesome. Well, I'm super excited. I know that we'll be watching here in Colorado because we love supporting you guys. And um, sounds like you have a pretty good lineup this year. So hopefully all goes according to plan. Yes, I hope so. It's, uh, you know, there's a lot of moving parts and the stars got all line and, uh, little luck never heard anything so we're, we're anxiously hopeful awesome well thank you so much for taking time to talk with us today brad we uh like michaela said earlier we just love working with you and we always have so much fun when we get to talk and interact with you and 
and do the video stuff. I wish people could get a behind the scenes video of what we're videoing because there's usually more laughter going on at those video shoots than like any other part of the work experience. <laughs> exactly. Well, life's too short not to have fun while we're doing it. So it's a pleasure. I love working with you guys. Uh, so easy talking to you both. I love it. So appreciate you having me. We would like to once again thank our friends at Weaver Leather for bringing you this episode of The Ride. Remember to go check out their ProTac collection at www.ridethebrand.com backslash ProTac. Thank you guys for tuning into The Ride podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and please be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Horse and Rider magazine on social media and find us at horseandrider.com. If you guys have any questions or comments, please be sure to hit us up at horseandrider at aimmedia.com. We want to hear from you guys. And if you like what you're listening to, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. How many stars, Michaela? Five stars, please.